Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello and welcome to a very special Reds Review podcast on Anfield Index. This is looking back at 2020 as a whole rather than the normal format we do month to month. And I'm delighted to welcome the former host of the Reds Review podcast as one of my two guests today, Mr Andy Wales. Andy, how are you doing, mate? Uh, I'm doing pretty well and uh, thankfully after today I, I am confirmed as COVID free. And, Fabulous. And I'm, and I'm honoured to, uh, to be invited onto this podcast. It's uh, quite a it's quite an emotional time, really. Absolutely delighted to have you on. And our second guest today, you'll know from the Champions League preview pods, Mr James Reid. Jay, how are you doing? Yeah, me, very good. Uh, just looking out the window with the snow tumbling down in Liverpool, which, you know, hopefully that's how United go down in, in the league, you know, because apparently they've won the league, haven't they? Because they're, they're joint top, even though they're actually second. Apparently uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, you know, 17 games in or whatever they are, they've won the league, so... Hopefully they'll go down quicker and this snow will disappear. Fingers crossed. So, yes, we are recording this on Saturday, the 2nd of January, after United played last night. I've seen a tweet today, I don't know if any of you boys have seen it, to say United, something along the lines of they've won the league now, the same as they did in 2012 when they were level on points with Man City, which obviously they didn't win that league because Man City had a better goal difference, much as we do now. So, hopefully that'll put a few of them back in their box where they need to be. Oh well, the the you know they can challenge. They done what Spurs did a few weeks ago. Spurs were the challenges. We seen them off when we played them. Leicester were potential challenges. We beat them, seen them off. We played them in two weeks. We'll beat them, see them off. It's just all part of the act. The only one who gets the trophy is the one who's at top, and we're top. So absolutely, yeah, have the moments if that's what they want. Definitely, yeah, we, we've we've been there before ourselves. So um. It's it's kind of funny to see it through the other side of the prism, isn't it? It absolutely is, yeah. And as you say, it's, it's no, another shocking VAR decision for me last night. And they just seem to be getting all the, the rubber, the green at the moment and the lion's share of the luck. So that, that can't carry on all season. And if they get an injury to Bruno, I think that's their season well and truly over, to be honest. They are certainly reliant on him at the moment. But we shall make a start anyway. So, as you say, normally Andy was the host of a Red Review podcast for all of last season, and then I took over hosting duties for this season. We're not going to do it month to month because, well, I've decided not to, and there was a three-month break where there was no football at all due to COVID. So what I wanted to do for a start, boys, obviously the highlight of everybody's 2020 is Liverpool winning the league, so you're not allowed to mention that. So we're going to have a highlight of the year, be it a goal a sign-in, a performance, even a cloth quote you heard in a press conference that really made you smile, and then a negative of the year. So I'll come to you first, Jay, and you can either choose your positive or your negative, and then we'll have a chat about that. 
Well, starting the positive and taking it back to almost a year ago when it's fitting the, the, the moment I'm going to choose as the team we just spoke about is United. Um, being in the ground for the obviously the breakaway goal from the United corner where Allison launched about 50, 60 yards on the pitch. Uh, Salah carries Dan James, I think it was, under his wing for about 20, 30 yards and then puts it past the Gaia, whips the top off, stands in front of the cop. Allison's sliding on his knees. Don't know why we had that sort of pace to get there, anyone faster than him. But, you know, I, I was in the ground that day and that was the moment that the whole ground and the fan base in unison did declare that we're going to win the league because I think a lot of people fought it after we put Leicester to the sword in December. Um, but that was the 19th of January, if I remember correctly. Um, so almost a year to the day. And we played them again the 17th of January this year. And hopefully it'll be the same outcome. But it was just that that moment of emotion where everyone sort of felt a, that's it. Now we can say it because we've all fought it. And a lot of people will have said it like in, in private to the mates or family and friends and whatever. But it was... 55,000 people just saying, yeah, we're going to win the league and we're letting you know that your pitch, we're going to take you off it. And for me, that was the moment of the year because obviously what we declared, we won. But it was the last real moments I felt where I enjoyed being within football because I was at the game where right now it, it just feels like a really sanitised, diluted version of football and I don't think I'll ever feel the same emotion for football until I get back in the ground because it's it's that special feeling and I know both of you have been to games around field. It's just something you cannot replicate no matter what you do. Sitting at home is not the same as being in the ground and feeling that raw emotion and raw passion. So that for me is my positivity. I mean, I'm sure you two have got something that will rival that because you know we've had plenty to choose from. We certainly have. And just on that, I think you're right with what you say. And that, that was, I was at a, a bit of a loggerhead that weekend because a friend of ours had bought me and my wife a, a hotel weekend, just the two of us, kid free. And when you've got two young kids, you want to savour the kid free time you have. And unfortunately, it was for that weekend. So I wasn't the most popular with my wife when I was sat in our room on my iPad watching that game. But the sheer delight when that goal went in and it's, I don't know about if you two agree with me on this one. If if it was Man City or a Chelsea that were as clear as we were, I know, like you said, that Boxing Day victory over Leicester, I think that would have been it. You would have conceded. But because of 13-14 and 08-09 and the years, the 30 years of hurt we've had, none of us sort of wanted to say it. None of us were were ready to say it. We were just feared, feared of getting burnt again and there'd been so many near misses. And I think the fact that it wasn't just the win and how many points clear we went. It was the fact that it was against United on that day and, and the manner of the victory with that goal right at the end. It was already 1-0, so we're winning the game anyway. But that last-minute goal, it, it was just sort of everything combined. And, yeah, what a moment. And I'm sure I, as, as Andy and Jay and, and a lot of you listening, will have just watched that clip time and time again of, of Salah scoring and Alisson running up to him. It's a great show. It was a fantastic moment. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was just because it was United. I think if that would have been Newcastle or Leicester, even Man City or Chelsea, as you referenced, I don't think it would have been that feeling. I think it was because it was them that yeah. made it just that extra special. But yeah, the time will come again and hopefully in two weeks' time we can have a, 
a replication of, of that sort of result. So it doesn't matter if it comes in a goal with that fashion, just a nice 2-0 victory against them will, will put a lot of people back in the box. Absolutely. So I'm going to jump in now and I'll put mine off. I think for me, there are so many. As you say, it has been a fantastic year for Liverpool, much as it's been a pretty miserable year for most people around the world with COVID, etc. But I think the signing of Thiago was just, it was just amazing to get a player of that ability. Unfortunately, it hasn't quite worked out as we'd hoped due to Richarlison cynically chopping his knee in half. But just to attract the calibre of player like that, that had just won a domestic treble with Bayern Munich and to get him for the price we got him for was, I don't know, it was just that was the one area I thought we all felt we could improve on. The defence was brilliant when you've got your first choice players for Allison, one of the best keepers in the world, the front three of the front three, but to just add a player of that calibre that's highly, highly regarded across the world with no real competition. It was just sort of, we want him, we're going to get him. And then just his unveiling, just the whole media storm around it and the social media team at Liverpool, I think, have really upped their game. And I think, yeah, from a signing point of view, I think Thiago definitely stands out for me. Andy, any thoughts on that one? Uh, the Thiago one was, I think, it was one of those signings that excited me more than anyone in in some some considerable time. I mean, I'd always said, look, as much as I felt he would transform and add a different dimension to our midfield and, and having watched him play for Bayern, knew all about him. I, I, I just thought it was so unlivable like to be going for a 29-year-old who does have a um, an iffy track record of injuries and was on high wages and would dem- and obviously would command high wages. It just seemed like a totally un-Liverpool signing. So I didn't want to get too excited in advance, I didn't want to dash, you know, have my hopes dashed and uh, feel utterly uh, despondent. So I, I'd convinced myself that as much as I know how brilliant he is and how fantastic it would be to get him, I convinced myself that it's just unlikely. So if it happens, magnificent, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, maybe that's a kind of consequence of 30 years of, um, you know, so many heartbreaks that we just prepare ourselves for it. You know, we're just not used to having so many positives and, and, and being able to actually go out there and sign and attract a world-class, a genuine world-class, one of the very best in his, in his area of the pitch. So tremendously exciting. Yeah, it was, as I say, that there are so many I could have chose from, but I think rather than a, than a game, I presumed one of you two would choose a game. I thought I'd, I'd choose a signing, and I thought, as you, you just laid it, laid it out perfectly, there he is, world class in his position. It is unlike Liverpool. I think they've all become sort of world class under under Klopp's guidance, and nobody had, was overly excited when we signed Mane or Salah, and Klopp has turned them into the world beaters. I think Virgil was highly regarded, but. I think Thiago is just that next step up and unfortunately has been injured. But I think the the 17-minute cameo we saw about against Newcastle the other night just got me even more excited and, and hopefully a lot more to come from him in the second half of the season and, and can kick us on. So go on then, Andy. What, what's your highlight for 2020 for the Mighty Reds? It's, it is a difficult one because there are so many positives and you talk, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we'd spent, you know, so many years of, of hurt 
having to wait 30 years to to lift the title again. I do feel, uh, I do have to say, I think it was around about December 2019 when deep down I was convinced that's it, we are winning it. But I didn't dare say it. I never dared actually come out and say that we are going to win it. And and I was never convinced in 13-14 that we were going to win it because I just felt that we were, you know, it, it was as exciting as it was, it could potentially collapse. So I, I don't, it was there were so many so many highlights throughout that um, throughout that season and throughout this year and what Jay mentioned the United game I think that was a defining moment that really was that was almost like that it felt more and more real but for me I think even even after that you know the, that Crystal Palace performance which was tremendous and it was you know the performance of champions. That the end of that city game when we knew that was it mathematically and and the hairs are standing up on my on my arms as I as I say this just thinking back to it even though we knew mathematically that was it we were confirmed as champions it didn't quite sink in for me and then I saw the videos and and this was still I think it still kind of resonates with me as as my moment of the year of seeing the players celebrating in the hotel and all together singing um a, a tune that i loved anyway yeah robin s show me love and and i've got that on my spotify yeah, playlist i still listen, listen to that virtually every day and it, that's uh, a that, great choice that is it that is it yeah but that song now for me will forever be that moment of the players celebrating winning our first league title in 30 years and it's and it not just been a celebration that we won it and it been so so long since we'd won it but it kind of epitomized how we've got there under Klopp, because that was a team, that was a group that are all together. And and it's that spirit, everything, just that moment, everything, just epitomised it, everything that, that I could, could have put together of how I felt, how they were, and what this team is about. And it was, it's just one of those things that I, I know it's not on the pitch and it's not in the stands, but it was the players and it was real and it was genuine, it was authentic, and that is Klopp. And and that is just how I felt at that very very moment, and that song now forever brings it back to me. So that is that is my moment of 2020. That's another great chat. I, I remember that night. It was a Thursday night, wasn't it? I remember that. And as you say, just Sky were obviously expecting it. It, it was near enough done, wasn't it? And had the the full Liverpool contingent in there ready with their their program on us winning the league and seeing the players and seeing Klopp tearful giving his interview in the hotel and, and Robertson and Milner and everybody just Van Dyke dancing. It was just the relief, as you say. We knew it was going to happen. We were mathematically there or thereabouts anyway. But yeah, just just that release. And again, I, d- I didn't watch the City-Chelsea game. I, d- I didn't want to know. But when the result came in, I was straight downstairs, put the telly on. And yeah, just seeing the celebrations was was certainly something I'd, I'd love to see again come May this year. What about you, Jay? What were you doing on that famous night? Avoiding the game like he was. I must say, Andy, that show me love. It, it was quite fitting that the players had chose that. I imagine the likes of Trent has probably had a little word in someone's ear saying that needs to be played because it's a song that goes crazy off in the city when when it's played. But back to that night, yeah, I, I don't even know exactly what I was doing, but I know I remember not watching the game until about the 86th, 87th minute. And did Chelsea get a pen late on? I think it was William scored it. 
and you're like, that's it. But then it was a numb feeling because we weren't playing and we'd won the league and we weren't involved. It was sort of really surreal. But then, as Andy said, when you see the videos of the players and Klopp, it, it all started to sink in then. And I know at, at that time we were under lockdown restrictions, but there was a fair amount of people we went to the ground and celebrated. And, you know, we've wasted 30 years. And I think you can cut people a little bit of slack for wanting to do that. Um, I was just texting around friends and family saying, like, I can't believe it's real. And it didn't feel real until I think we lifted the league. That's when, that's for me, was when it, it fully sunk in. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's just a moment you won't forget. And hopefully, as you said, it'll be a game next, well, this year as it is now, it's May uh, this year, that we can have that moment again. And, and, you know, fingers crossed that we can have some fans in the ground. Maybe won't be a full capacity, but, you know, them players missed out on that that moment that they should remember forever with with the fans and it was a it was a moment that the fans will remember but it was all a bit surreal. Um so hopefully we can this year, all being well we can we can lift it again and we can have some fans in and hopefully it's a start of a little bit of a dynasty because you know we've we've got the Champions League in the bag. We've got these world class players on our hands. It's it's our time to to strike while the iron's hot. You know, we've sat in the shadows for for many years watching the likes of United, Chelsea, and City lift the Premier League on multiple occasions, even lift the Champions League for a couple of them. And it feels like it it's now should be our turn. And hopefully, that this is the start of things to come, and we can go on a roll for the next four or five, six years, seven years, whatever. As long as Klopp's there and whoever comes after them. Um, that we can we can make the most of this because for the first time in my life I I can feel what the older generation felt where we are the best team in the world. You're always singing, you always believe it, but now we are. You can genuinely say we are the best team in the world because I don't think there's another team on the planet that can rival us when we're when we're fully fit on our day. There's there's nobody in our league and that that's something special to, to just have as a Liverpool fan. I know that's slightly off tangent from what you said, but you know, it, when you're looking back on the year as as we are now, it's it's a moment where you can think, well, yeah, we are, we are the goddamn best in the world. So, so what are you going to do about it? Bring bring all you can because it's going to take a hell of a lot to to challenge us. Absolutely, and and that's why we had this sort of idea to do this part. I mean, obviously, Liverpool fans we've won the league, so that's great. But everybody remembers that and the rest of the year has been pretty lousy for everybody, really, with all that's going on. And I know the moments we've chose are sort of well-known ones, but hopefully by listening to this, other people, will it'll trigger their memories and think of something else like the, a win here or a win there or even something as petty as Bernardo Silva spitting his dummy out and not, and not adhering to the... What's, I can't get my words out when he left early. The guard of honour, that's the word I was looking for. Even Bernardo being petulant and spitting his dummy out and not doing that properly. Just little things like that that can hopefully bring a bit of joy to some people in an otherwise miserable year. But it wouldn't be us without looking at the half-empty glass as well. So I'm going to go first on this one because I don't want either of you to pinch, to pinch my one. So... My low light, if you like, of the calendar year 2020, I'll take you back to the 11th of July 2020. Liverpool won, Burnley won. 
And that was the only home game we dropped any points in last season. And that frustrates the life out of me. The 100 points would have been fantastic or beating City's record, getting 101, 102 points. But that's something that can always be bettered and beaten. Whereas winning 19 out of 19 home league games could never have been bettered. It could have been equaled. It's never been done before. And it probably won't ever be done again. I think we were the last team this year when we drew with West Brom to drop points at home. Everybody else had already dropped them. And just a game again. We won't harp on about VAR, but there were some shocking refereeing decisions in that game. And I remember leaving the pitch, Andy Robertson, giving the referee his, his full front of his frustration. I get a team like Burnley, I think Nick Pope again, as, as seems to be the case with with many keepers. And Darlow, Rivernight for Newcastle, just seemed to turn into prime Gordon Banks, prime Ray Clements, prime Peter Schmeichel, prime David Seaman, prime Gigi Buffon, all rolled into one when they come up against Liverpool. And yeah, just to just to miss out on the 19 out of 19 by that one draw just really, really frustrated me. Yeah, it's, uh, as you mentioned, you know, the the, um, the officiating in that game, I just, yeah, I'd, I'd almost forgotten about that. Robertson going mad coming off the pitch. Uh, and, and every right to it. I was absolutely shocking. It, not to begin. He was apoplectic, wasn't he? Yeah. He was absolutely. Is, and again, I suppose that shows the, the mentality monsters tag that we've we've developed from the club. The league was won. The league was done. There, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it was a draw, so the the unbeaten. I can't remember how many games it was at the, but fifty six, fifty seven games at Anfield was was intact. But they obviously felt that still that need, that desire to want to win every game and to be that that annoyed with a draw when you've already won the league just says it all about the mentality of this group of players to me. Yeah, uh, and it kind of, again, ep- epitomised the, the whole thing of, with the officiating that, you know, uh, people have, have complained about VAR, but really it comes down to the people who are in charge of it and, and it is a, a real mixed bag and most of it is pretty poor in the Premier League, unfortunately, and we seem to be on the, um, the wrong end of it more times than, than not. And yeah, that penalty that really should have been given in real time, let alone not even um, a judge to be given by the VAR official. And Burnley's goal, you know, it was pick your foul on Allison. Uh, it was it was incredible. But yeah, <laughs> again, you know, we we could go off on tangents about VAR and and some of the calls that have have gone against us across the year on on all of them. It's it just. Um, it's it's another frustration uh, amongst uh, many others. It really is, and as you said, that we're very fortunate in that there haven't really been many negatives, many downsides in the calendar year 2020. They've been defeated, of course. They have, uh, without pinching one of your two answers, potentially the loss to City stung a bit, and you don't want to lose to them. But yeah, just the frustration of that, and the fact that it could have been avoided really with competent officially officiating it's it just really bothered me that as I said that was the one record I really really wanted us to get that meant more to me than than a punch record but there you go these things happen we got we got diced well and truly on that day so we'll come to you Jay have you got anything that that stung your craw for the last 12 months uh, I've been trying to think because I think the obvious one is the Van Dyke injury um but 
I think it maybe it's along the, the lines of what you got. I think it's just the incompetence of just VAR. And it's not even VAR, it's the referees, really, as as Andy said as well. It's it's something that was brought in and, you know, there was a lot of people for it, a lot of people against it. I was a bit, you know, if if, if that's the way the game's going, that's the way the game's going. It, it, it works in other sports. I, I watch a lot of the NFL, I watch a lot of cricket, and there's video technology used in both of them in different ways but it's used and it's used effectively and I'd say 99% of the time the results is is accurate where this is it's creating more more bother than what it's what it was actually intended for and it's not ultimately all VARs I think there's a lot of skepticism around the rules of offside and elbows and armpits and knees and the back of someone's shoe that that's that's just i think our league being so prophetic and so petty that needs clearing up but it it is just down to the the poor officiating um and i've been someone who said that var for me should be an independent panel that is the same panel of three four individuals who take about the whole game, every game, sorry, across the whole season, they oversee it all. So you know that these four people are ultimately responsible for everything. Not David Coote, who's made a howler on VAR one week and then goes out and referees on the pitch next week and makes another howler. Or a similar incident will happen and he'll make an absolute contradiction of his decision. And it's just, that's what's driving me down as a negative in football as well as other things. But We've been on such a bad end of VAR in so many ways, and I don't want to sound like I'm cry arse and that United are getting all the VAR and we're getting nothing because we have had decisions in our favour, but it's such obvious ones that one week it is and one week it isn't. And I've got to the point now where I'd rather not have VAR, I'd rather just have an incompetent linesman or an incompetent referee that made a decision on the pitch and went, well, you know, he's not good enough, simple as that, but is human, where these fellas have got the benefits of technology, they've got benefits of multiple replays and angles, and again, they take a lot of time on that, and the lotches a lot more Bundesliga than us. The few games that I've watched, it works pretty quickly, pretty effectively. Okay, it's not perfect, but it's a lot more nailed down than what, what we've got over here, and for me, that that's the negative that's dragging not just Liverpool down, but it's dragging the game down, so yeah, I don't want to pick the obvious, but for me, that's the one that is it's killing football the most at the moment. And I think that's that's what I, I would say is, is going wrong. I know Andy Alav is, is fought as well because he's, he's I say, he's got the Bundesliga aspect and he'll know how VAR works over there better to, to us over here. No, I fully, fully agree with you. It's to, my thoughts on this have been the same throughout, really. I've said on on numerous podcasts I've been on that it's almost like it's it's a boys club and there's the senior officials that the junior ones if you like are afraid to overrule and to for, want to put in a better way to make them look stupid like they've missed something obvious or got it wrong so they won't overrule them it's the consistency of it I mean it's not really been mentioned that I've seen in the mainstream media but that Marnie one against Newcastle, Darlow clearly had a hold of his leg and fair enough, he didn't go down and nobody really appealed for it. But 
if you can just imagine if that's Fernandez, that that's given as a penalty, and that's not being bitter Liverpool fans. We are still top of the league, but it's just on one game that's given. The well back one is given against us, and then the weekend after was it Chelsea playing Southampton? There's such a similar one that isn't given, and there's no consistency. And as you said, it's this has been brought in to help the referees due to the speed of the game because their lack of competence, however you want to dress it up. But it's the people that were making these mistakes that are then in charge of it. And it, it isn't the technology that's wrong. It is the people that are controlling the technology. And VAR gets the bad name where the technology shows the right pictures, the right images, but the person looking at it and making the decision is the same one that the week before, as you said, to name David Coote, is, is the one that's on the pitch making that decision. And it does hark back to that Van Dyke one and... Yes, it doesn't make a difference in that his knee is still bust and he is still out for 10 months. But Pickford goes, we get a penalty. They're playing 10 men for 80 minutes. We likely win the game. We're not level on points with United. We're two, we're two points clear. And it's just so frustrating. But I'm going to stop there before I go off on a massive tangent and it turns into another VAR pod. So we'll come to you, Andy, then. And hope, hopefully you've got something other than VAR that, that brought you down yeah. this year. Yeah, I mean, just very, very briefly on that VAR in, in terms of like the Bundesliga, that VAR is not popular in the Bundesliga amongst the fans because obviously it's a very much a, a fan culture driven uh, game over there. So it is not popular there because of, as we've seen, you know, it takes the game away from that moment and that what you're living in and the joy and the you know everything else that you get from that. However, what I would say it is, it, it is applied they're much more consistently than it is here. And I think it's that level of inconsistency that really aggravates people. Like you mentioned, the likes of the Danny Welbeck one, you know, one week that's a penalty, the following week the exact same incident isn't. And there is no consistency to how things are applied. And as as you've both mentioned as well, you know, the old boys club and, you know, the same people who are making bad calls on the field are then making bad calls from a VAR room. So, yeah, the the whole thing... I was in favour of it before it came in because the officiating was so bad that I felt that at least it'll make it better. Um, unfortunately, it hasn't. So I'm all for getting rid of it now, really, in the Premier League because, yeah, uh, it's not that the officiating is going to be any better or worse. At least we'll have that. We'll be able to live in that moment. So that that is that is one thing. Um, but yeah, that's that's enough of it. Yeah. Um, the the Virgil one, uh, oh, yeah, that is an obvious um, an, an obvious negative for for the year. I mean, that was j- just awful, absolutely awful. And whether or not we could have been given a penalty um, is by the by. I think the the course of action should obviously have been a red card. Whether the game stopped or not, what he did was a red card. And yeah, again, you know, these are the frustrations. But you know, above everything else. There's there's one of our leading players, one of the very best players in the world, taken out of the game by a reckless and dangerous challenge. And it is gutting that he is injured for him, for his career, as well as our team. Um, but I, I've kind of got like a couple of negatives. One is kind of it's that bittersweet moment. Obviously, it, it was like our highlight of the year is seen as lift the trophy. But kind of the flip side of that is because of the COVID situation, we didn't have fans in the stadium being able to actually, you know, be a part of that and witness that. And the players themselves and Klopp 
and Kenny Dalgleish and everybody else not able to be a part of that, to enjoy all of that together. So as much as that was a highlight of the year, it's also like a bittersweet moment. But I think on the pitch, my negatives is, is just a, such an obvious one. And it's that Aston Villa defeat because I I still cannot fathom that performance that day. It just beyond anything. Uh, and I never, ever, ever want to see that ever again. No, that was. I mean, you get them, don't you? And it, it has sort of been a season of that. I mean, United lost six-one at home to Tottenham. I don't know what Jay said earlier at one point. Tottenham were were top of the league, and when we played them, that was a, a top of the league clash. And Leicester went to City, and was it five-one, five-two? So they have been happening, but yeah, you can see, sort of see us losing to Villa. I mean, the frustrating thing is we had. Adrian in goal rather than Allison, but other than that, that was sort of pre this injury crisis that we had, and we were near enough a full strength for that one. And it was just a bizarre game, wasn't it? I think from the Adrian mistake at the start, and then to go one nil up in the third fourth minute, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and there was deflected goals, and we were just we were off the pace. I'm not saying we weren't at all, and we were very poor, but. It just clicked perfectly for Villa that night. It was a complete freak result. It was, as you said, everything that could go wrong for us did go wrong for us. The ball was just bouncing in their favour. These results happened. But yeah, to not only lose, but to lose seven holes to two, it's just it's just surreal, isn't it? It, it, can't, it can't have happened. It must have been a dream. A uh, nightmare. <laughs> yes, more a nightmare than a dream. What 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 am I watching? What am I watching? Yeah, obviously a yeah, deflection, deflected goals, um, and you say you know lots of mistakes all over the pitch, not just Adrian, but all over the pitch. We were just, it was it was just so bad. And you know, like you said, yeah, everything kind of dropped for Villa, but everything that could go wrong for us did go wrong. We were just completely and utterly woeful, and it was just. Oh, it, it it was it was dreadful. By far the worst Liverpool performance I've ever ever seen from yeah. the team I've probably ever seen. Yeah, it was just and again if you look at the season since then there've been I think four if not five frustrating draws where we really should have won. You think Brighton, West Brom, Newcastle, Everton, where we really should be, and I mean that's eight points, and we're we're storming the league again like we did last year. But yeah, that Villa one. But then to not lose again since then, it was just a a complete one-off. And the biggest for me is, as you say, that was pre-injury crisis, really, other than Alisson, the main man, being out and Adrian coming in. It was near enough our full-strength team, as you would expect, that had won us the league and the Champions League. So I just, I just didn't see it coming at all. And thankfully, it hasn't happened again since. And hopefully... It won't happen again, and that that is our only blemish on on this season. But we shall leave that one there, I think, as I don't think any of us particularly want to to relive that dreadful night again. So, I think something else, a, a popular review topic, is always goal of the year. So, for this one again, I'll I'll leave the floor open up to you boys. It can be the best goal, the goal you saw live, or a goal that meant the most to you, your favourite player scoring, or even without stealing possibly one of your answers the Salah goal against United. It wasn't perhaps the best goal, but what it meant and what it meant to you and to the club as a whole. So, any of you boys want to go first on that one? Yeah, go on. 
Well, yeah, the Salah goal, as I said, in, in the, the moments of the year was was huge and massive, but I'm going to go with something a little more recent. And Bobby Firmino's header against Tottenham about two weeks ago, I think it was. You know, they, they were they were what United are now. They were the, the rumoured challengers. They were meant to be the ones who were in the two horse races with us. And that game just, it felt like it was just going to be a little bit of a drag and it was just going to go the way that games in the past have gone where Jose comes to Anfield and does the, the Jose Mourinho job that they keep putting out there in the press. But it was the moment when he scored and the fans were back in the 2,000 fans, albeit. But it was so late in the game, it won us the points. It, it, it put Jose to bed. And then just as celebration, the way he sprinted 60 yards down the field with a big beam and angry smile punching the air. And it was just a moment where, for once, well, even though it did go to VAI, I think well, there's, there's nothing that could rule it out. And it was pathetic that it even got reviewed. But it felt like, you know, there's no reason to cancel that goal. And having that moment where there was real noise from fans in the stadium. Um, and just seeing like Bobby's pure emotion, and he's a player that that lives on emotion, and he he goes through highs and lows, but he still keeps working. And through them two or three week period, he was on fire. I mean, we've had a couple of poor performances from the whole team really in the last two games, but for that Tottenham game and the Palace game especially, he, he was he was different class. But yeah, for me that that was what I would say would be the goal of the year. It was just to cap the year off it was putting Jose back in his box it was the moment where fans could enjoy it and just seeing the player that I think everyone at the club loves just have that moment for himself with it's usually all about money it's usually all about Salah but everyone who who appreciates Liverpool appreciates Bobby Firmino so for me that's my goal with the season so far or goal of the year I'd say I think that's a great shout, and as I sort of said in the intro, it's not necessarily by any means the best goal. It's a header from a corner, but for what it meant, and as you say, it was just such a frustrating game again, like like the last couple have been. But thankfully, in this one, we got over the line, and a very similar moment in the West Brom game where he had that header late on, but unfortunately, in that instance, the keeper made the save. But you're right, having the the two thousand fans in the ground made a difference, and Mourinho had full on. Mourinho just that day but they'd done what what he does so often and and they had a chance to to win it themselves and for nothing almost but it was a thoroughly deserved win but yeah just I think the raw emotion same as the Salah goal against United the raw emotion of of a late goal of beating who at the time we arrivals really did really did mean a lot to the club to the fans and the next couple of games after that Tottenham had really poor results and the madness of the Premier League this season. They went from being first to seventh in the space of a game week. I don't know, that's probably about six games had been played in that period for this season. But yeah, I think that the impact that that had had on their season and, and on ours at that time can't be understated, really. It was, it was a key game and a key a winning goal. So, Andy, any thoughts on that or any thoughts on your own goal of the calendar year? Um, that was that was a nice moment. Uh, as again, the Salah one, we keep going back to that moment against United. There, were, there was something about that moment, wasn't there? The knee slide from Allison. There was there was just something. It, everything kind of felt a bit different from that moment on. But I, I'm I 
I don't know, maybe it's a recency bias, but I'm I'm going to pick out another Bobby Firmino goal, and and the one against uh, the the first one against um, against Crystal Palace on a day where just about everything we hit went in. It was you know we the last year or so of Bobby Firmino has been so un Bobby Firmino like on the ball off the ball he still does everything that we'd expect of him, but on the ball he's not been quite himself. He's been in and out all all across the year. But against Palace, he was tremendous. Uh, and that goal, that touch, the first touch and the deftness and the cheekiness of the finish, it was just, it was pure Bobby Firmino and, and it was pure joy. And it's, you know, as a guy who's brought that kind of joy so many times to us, uh, it was just, I don't know, there, just, there was so much sauce on that goal that I just, I loved it. No, that's a good shout. And as you say, in that game, there were so many goals. That was almost the, the polar opposite of the Villa game where everything just went right for us. And that there were a lot of goals in there. But it's what he needed, I think, for me. You know, it's, he's come under a bit of criticism this year, maybe more so than in the past. And mainly, I would say, down to the impact Jota had had and Jota got the goals. But he certainly remains one of Klopp's favourites, regardless of that, for, for the work he does, the chances he creates for other people. And I know even at that time, some of the under-pressure boys were saying maybe it's Bobby's tiring them all out and then Jota's coming on and, and taking advantage of that. And a lot of that work does go unnoticed. So, yeah, I, I love Bobby Firmino. I bought a Firmino T-shirt from the AI shop, which you should all check out and buy. I think he's a class player. And, and when, he, when he's firing, like he was... 17-18 season we are really really are a force to be reckoned with and we're seeing signs that he's getting back to that and that can only be a good thing for Liverpool so again another great shout there so for mine again I, I thought quite long and hard about this really there have been some really really good calls this this year this season as well in particular when when I've been doing the Reds review part I've been thinking of um, some of Jota's goals have been brilliant and Mo scored again a, a couple of crackers against Crystal Palace but I'm going to go back to near the end of last season for mine and it's Nabby's against Chelsea when we beat them 4-3 now most Liverpool fans aren't keen on Chelsea anyway and Lampard was at his petulant best during that game and mouthing off and shouting out and that just showed much as I'm choosing it as my goal of the year it brings so much frustration to me as well that that's the type of player we have got. And unfortunately, for numerous reasons, mainly injury, we just haven't seen enough of it. But that was just Naby at his, at his best, what we can hope to see more of in the second half of this season, just breaking, bringing the ball forward and then just unleashing one in the top corner. It was a really good finish anyway. But I think that's just a cater everybody wants to see. Everybody's as frustrated as probably nowhere near as frustrated as he is with what's happened at his time at Liverpool, but that just shows the potential there in that player and just hope and pray that in the second half of the season, if we can get him and Thiago fit and firing, score three, and we'll be able to do that with that much firepower. And I love Naby Keita. I think it was a great goal and just hopefully we get to see more of it and more of him. So any thoughts on that one, boys? I'd almost forgotten about that goal. That hit was an absolute blammer. Uh, and yeah, that that's again, that's Nabby, isn't it? You know, I I'd said you can question his fitness record, but you can't question his quality. Whenever he's been fit, 
Um, I'd say the vast majority of games that he's actually played in, he's contributed an awful lot and he's been very, very good. At times, brilliant. And, and he's tortured a few teams like to Bournemouth and Crystal Palace. He's tore them to shreds. Seems to be really good against the low blocks. Uh, love that goal. And, and yes, yeah, it's, it's just such a shame we don't get to see more of Naby. Yeah, I remember that because it was the night we, we got given the trophy wasn't against Chelsea and had a small gathering, just three or four of my mates, and sat in the garden, set the, the TV up in the garden, marquee and stuff. And I just remember screaming, Nabby lad, as soon as that went in. And like, I got a bit of stick from my mates because I'm a, I'm a Nabby fan and not an overly big Jordan Henderson fan. And they're more Jordan Henderson fans and not very keen on Nabby, but that tends to be the split in the fan base. And for that one moment, they were like, yeah, you know, fair play. <laughs> if he's going to smash one in and do that, then then he's got it. And I was like, well, as Andy just said, it's, it, the quality isn't the question. It's, it's it's just the quantity that we can see it in. And hopefully, fingers crossed, we, we can see a little bit more of him because it, it, it's a shame to see such a talent in, in such small spurts that, you know, we we really hope it works out for him. Not just as fans, but as, as a person, you just want it to work for them because he, he's come in with a big reputation and we all know what he can produce and when when he does produce it, I don't think there's really many in the league like like him that, that can break from midfield and, and drive teams and, and, and put players to the sword and, and just make them look stupid. Um and yeah, if if it's gonna be the case that we don't have Virgil and Gomez for the rest of the season and it, it is gonna become a dogfight where it's we'll just try and outscore you with the more firepower as you say the better if we get Jota back at the end of January and we hopefully have Naby back soon. Thiago, all being well, will soon be ready for 90 minutes. Then, yeah, they're, they're more weapons at our disposal than most of the teams are having there. So, hopefully, that's a sign of things to come in 2021. Definitely. And I think Cy Brundish has obviously put her a lot more eloquent than me, than me. But, yeah, availability is the best ability. And unfortunately for Naby, he just hasn't had that yet at his time at Liverpool. But, Again, I think we are so well known now across the world for our, for our fullbacks being our outlet, our attacking ball, and Trent being our playmaker because the midfield has tended to be Fabinho, Wijnaldum, Henderson, Klopp's preferred choice for most of last season. They're workmen, like they work us, like they they add a lot, but the creativity then comes from the fullbacks and from the front three. And once you're well as well known as we are for that, it becomes easier to sort of stop and for a really terrible comparison, you look at Sheffield United, they were flying at the start of last season because nobody saw and knew what they were about, but now they've fully got second season syndrome and haven't won a game yet. And I think Trent isn't at the standards he set, which don't get me wrong, a sky, sky high. And we're talking about one of the, one of, if not the best fullbacks in the world. So it's monumentally high standards he set for himself, but he isn't quite at that level this year. Robertson with Simekas's injury is just playing every minute of every game and like for Scotland as well. So if we can get away with maybe then if Simekas is still injured, putting a Milner at left back. But if you've got a Naby or a Thiago in the midfield, I think the impact of that won't be as severe either, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? If Naby had the durability of Ginny Vinealdum we would just have a sensational player. And I do think, you know, a couple of, two or three of these games where 
they've come out as frustrating results because we haven't been able to break teams down. It, things might have been a bit different, but um, I guess football's a, a lot about the you know the what ifs. Absolutely. Well, I put in our the A Anfield Index Discord group that we were doing this, and did any subscribers or listeners want anything in particular to speak about? Somebody had mentioned, forget your name, I'm terribly sorry for that, about transfers. And just in general now, the club's stance on transfers position, obviously I'd mentioned that Thiago was my highlight of the year. We had a relatively busy summer in bringing in Thiago, Jota and Simicas and I think it's well known now amongst all of us and football worldwide that Edwards and Klopp, etc., and that the full team behind have got a pretty damn good record when it comes to transfers. So obviously the, the talk at the moment with Van Dijk and Gomez being out for the full season and Matter continually just picking up these injuries here and there and missing games that we're after a centre-back. So we won't go into it in a lot of depth because there's been a, a fantastic transfer committee pod that you should all listen to. But just your boys thoughts. Do you one think we will sign a centre-back? And and if we don't, do you sort of trust the team now that they're not signing one for the right reasons and have have faith and confidence in them that what we've got will be enough to see us through? Or if we didn't sign one, would you think it was negligent and it's going to leave us short and there's just no way we can carry on with what we've got with at the moment is Fabinho and either Phillips or Williams and that's it. And to me, coming up against United with with Fernandez, with Martial, Greenwood, Rashford, I think Cavani's going to miss the game, isn't he? Because he's he's got his free game ban. But that's where they're at their strongest and a forward line like that attacking potentially Reese Williams and Fabinho worries me ever so slightly, should we say? So what what do you, what do you think, boys? Yeah, I, I think it's negligent if we don't sign one. Um, at the start of the season, I think we all had that faith of, you know, the injuries that happened to Van Dijk and Gomez were freak injuries. Now, we, we don't know the full disclosure on how Gomez got injured. Um, there's a lot of rumour that it wasn't as innocent as it's being made out to be. Um, and then we've not even had a full, you know, clear diagnosis from the club that it's a specific injury. We all think it's a patella tendon rupture. I think um, was the the um, diagnosis that Marty and um, Sai I think, done on the, the podcast. Um, and if it is that, then it's quite a, a horrific injury and one that will take a long time to recover from. And there's no guarantee that it will um, be the same again. Obviously, Van Dyke's injury wasn't a pretty one either. Um, we've seen videos of him coming back, but it's going to be a long road. I think we're all getting slightly ahead of ourselves, thinking, you know, we, he's going to be back in in action in a couple of months. I think that'll be an absolute pipe dream. I think it's, I think he's just doing the general rehab that you'd be expected for for that type of injury. But at the start of the season, we thought, you know, we, these two, well, Van Dyke especially doesn't really get injured. Um, Gomez has had knocks, but has been pretty solid. Matip, we know what Matip is. And then we've, you know, it was rumoured that Fabinho would be the fourth centre-back. And as it is, he's he's arguably the best centre-back in the league on current form um, and fitness. We thought that'd be OK. Um, you can't legislate for what's happened. And I think if we go on into the new year without another centre-back, it's negligence because no disrespect to Nat Phillips. 
He's probably not even a Premier League player. Um, he's probably Championship at best for me. Reese Williams has got the potentials to be Premier League standard, but he's still a kid. He, he needs to go out and, and learn the trade. I know he went to Kidderminster last year, but Kidderminster's not, not a real level of football. It's, a, it's an understanding of football, but it's not a competitive level. He needs to go and develop at maybe a Championship level club like the likes of Harvey Elliott is at the moment, who, for the record, has got another assist today. Um, we're going to get by this season, but if you think of our aspirations to win the league, to challenge for the Champions League, we, we can't be going in with question marks over when Matip is coming back and if he'll stay fit. And these two young lads, well, Reese is young, Nat Phillips is 23, I think now. Very inexperienced. We can't do that. And if it is the Ruben name to be Sven Botman, who's been touted over the last 24, 48 hours to come in. He's had first-team experience in Holland. He's had first-team experience in France. He's played the Europa League. He's only 20, but he's got more first-team experience than those two lads combined. And If it is to be him, great. I don't know enough about him. If it's to be someone else, fine by me. You trust Klopp and you trust Edwards to do the job because... I don't think we've ever really had a true failure in the transfer market from those two um, and the rest of the team, obviously, that goes behind us. So I think it's negligence if we don't, but I think we genuinely actually will sign one and maybe another one in the summer. I think all that's lined up to be is if if Botman is to be the lad that we bring in, a lot of his characteristics and qualities seem to line up with Matip. I think Sam Maguire put a piece out on Twitter today and a lot of his physique and qualities lined up alongside Massive. So if it is to be that he would be the Massive replacement, should we decide to to move Massive on for fitness and availability reasons in the summer, then that would make a lot of sense and not really tread on the toes of Gomez and Van Dijk if they come back and fit, in, fit into the first team fold. And then I think we do need another one anyway, just for, for all intents and purposes. It's always better to have a specialist in that position as good as Fabinho's been, he's still the best defensive midfielder in the world. And if we can put him in midfield with Thiago and any of other of our good midfielders that we've got, it always makes us a better team. So, yeah, negligence if we don't, but I think we will. No, fully agree. I just, as I mentioned earlier, we do, we do like our glass half empty here as well. So just pick up on something you said there, obviously. Quite a lot of it has been Virgil himself putting on his social media about his training, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Is it just me, or does part of you worry that the club are putting that out and we're not going to sign one, and they're putting that out as we don't need to sign one? Virgil's coming back when we all know really he's unlikely to play again this season, or certainly be anywhere near what he is this season. Is it just me overreacting to that, or do you have that fear as well? Yeah, I think you're a bit overreacting personally, but. I, I no, think that's fine. good. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear that it's just my negativity. It just, it just, as I say, I know a lot of it's been him on his own personal Twitter or Instagram account that he's put it out on. But when the club start doing things like this to me, that's uh, we're preparing you here that nobody's coming in and we're going to have to make do with what we've got. But it's all right. We've still got the best centre back in the world to come back. No, I think I think it's fine. I think it's just a little bit of positivity in what is a very glum, dull year. So. Yeah, I'm sure Andy's got his views too on it. Yeah, I mean, Klopp did come out and and kind of try and dampen things a little and say, look, you know, 
it's it's lovely to see him back doing that to rehab. But you know, let's not forget it was a very serious injury and there's still a long, long way to go. So you know, as positive as that is to see him <clears throat> to, to you know to see him training. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not uh, going to be some miraculous uh, return. And and just as Jay mentioned, you know, last season we we took a gamble, and sometimes gambles pay off, sometimes they don't. And for whatever reasons, you know, whatever the reasons may be, that gamble didn't pay off for us, and and it's backfired massively. And you know, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams have stepped in, and they've done an admirable job when they've stepped in. But to ask them to be playing regular football, and when you think of the games that are going to come in. Um, this season, thick and fast, we we would need them to be playing quite often. And given Matt Heap's record with injuries, yeah, it's it's too much to ask of those of those guys. So it would be negligent to um, to ignore that and to try and take an, an even bigger gamble, arguably, to the end of the season by not signing another centre back. But I, I do kind of feel that we will make a sign in. And whoever that may be, I mean, I don't know an awful lot of Botman. Obviously, the the situation with Lille lends itself to being able to take advantage of their um, financial uh, um, wars. But, you know, whomever it is, if we do sign a centre-back, I have that trust within uh, in Klopp and Edwards. And I believe they've earned that trust that whoever they bring in will be of the right quality, the right profile in, and, and everything, because... You know, as I said, you know, they've earned that trust and they've earned it for a reason. When you look at their record of signings over the past few years, you know, that they, they are there's there's a hell of a lot more hits than there are misses. Uh so yeah, every reason to uh, to to trust them should we bring a centre back in, which which I think we have to. I think we have to, and I do kind of believe that we will. Absolutely, you've nailed it there, as I say. I think they have more than earned their trust and whether it's just me or it's the fan base as a whole, I think some of the signings we've made at the time haven't exactly got everybody on the edge of their seat with excitement. And I'll include myself in that when we signed Mane. And even when we signed Salah, I didn't think for a second they would be as good as they have been and have the impact they've had. I'm big enough to hold my hands up and say that. So the same as you boys, I don't really know a lot about this Botman, but whether it's him or whether it's a another I will trust that this hasn't been a decision that's been rushed into, regardless of our chronic injury situation. It will be one that FSG, Michael Edwards Klopp, don't sign for the sake of signing, really, other than Colker on loan in in Klopp's first year. There hasn't ever been a a signing like that made, really. So if we decide to do it, it, it's going to be for the long term and it's going to be for the benefit of the club. So fingers crossed we will get one over the line in January. So... Before we finish, just normally on the Reds Review podcast, we'll we'll do our predictions for the next month, etc. We're not going to do predict the whole results for the year, but I'm just going to ask you boys for what your hopes and dreams are for the for 2021, really, other than the obvious of Liverpool winning the league, winning the Champions League, or winning both. Is there anything particular, different that you're hoping and wanting to see for this year? Uh, for me, I mean, just we've we've just been talking about transfers, uh, and the hope for me will be that, um, you know, finances allowing it is in the summer we do start to keep planning, you know, further forward, you know, that we haven't just said, right, this is, you know, we've hit upon this team, they're fantastic, but as they come to the end of their cycle, that's it, Liverpool come, this Liverpool team just comes to the end of its cycle as well. I hope that, yeah, we are 
planning and moving for the next few years. You know, as Mane and Salah and Firmino, you know, reaching that 28, 29, we start to, you know, think about who is going to step in and who's going to be replacing them. Jota's younger, he's coming, landed. I, I would absolutely love my dream right now to add to that front three in the summer would be Erling Haaland from Dortmund. And I do, I mean, I wrote an article for um, Anfield Index on it. I do think it would be like the next evolution of our attack line would be to have an Erling Haaland in there. And and I would absolutely love for us to be doing something like that, you know, to, to be bringing in these, the next line that, you know, the guys who are going to start taking the places of these, these players who have together with Klopp, created what is arguably the best Liverpool team we've ever seen. That's a great shout. And again, that's what you think back to the 90s of United being dominant. That's what Fergie was the master of doing, just one or two tweaks here and there. But gradually, all of a sudden, he's rebuilt the team and he's got another team and they've got a different way of playing. And it's almost gone unnoticed, but they've gone again and won the league again and won a ridiculous amount of leagues in the 90s. And again, what, what we said about January and bringing a centre-back in or not, these guys now have earned our trust for what they've done the last few years. And regardless of Twitter rumours about FSG looking to sell or looking to get an investor in, they seem like they are there for the long term and they want continued success for the club and the way they're going with the stadium and the training ground. You just can't see anything other than, than that planning being come to fruition and I'm fully behind you on the Haaland he is a fantastic player and I think he would be a tremendous addition to ourselves so Jay any thoughts on that or anything you're particularly looking forward to this calendar year yeah I'd I'd love Haaland like there's a lot of talk of Sancho with Dortmund but Haaland for me is the one that there that he just stands head and shoulders above the rest he's He's a freak in terms of his size and his speed. Um, we've seen what he could do to us when he was at Salzburg and his level has gone up again since he's been at Dortmund and I think he is destined for the top. Um, and, you know, as we said earlier on how much we love Bobby, but he's not going to go on forever. And if we are going to have someone in that number nine position and, you know, if we if we are going to foresee two or three years down the line, Jota could take a wide position we need someone to fill that nine shirts. There is no better player, I don't think, in the world than Erlen Haaland to fill that position. Um, my overall hopes for the year, I've probably got two, really. I'd like to see us go for the Champions League again. It was a huge disappointment for us to go out the way we did to Atletico Madrid. Um, again, being at that game, we, we played really well on the night. It was just a couple of, couple of errors here and there. And, you know, it was just, not a nice way to go out. Um, so I'd like to see us press on for that competition. I don't think there's anyone really in Europe who can challenge us, maybe Bayern Munich. Um, and my overall hope is just to get back in the ground um, as a match-going fan who's not missed a home game for best part of three or four years. It, it is it is a bit sick not to be able to go to the match. Um, just to be able to get back in there and... and and feel as though you're doing your bit for supporting Liverpool. I know I'm in a pretty privileged position to be able to go as much as I do. I know there's a lot of fans who probably listen to this who who are very lucky that if they get to one game, um, whatever they are in the world or the country to listen to it, 
yeah, that for me that that's my big hope and dream is just to get back in that ground at some point this year and hopefully have a full capacity and be able to to have the impact that we all know that Liverpool fans can have. That's a great shout, and I'm unfortunately one of the unlucky ones you mentioned there. I don't get to go as often as I'd like with with work with family etc and availability so now on on two fronts that would be fantastic one from a football point of view and the fans make a, a big difference and without getting political or, or into the news side of things it would then mean we're seeing the back of this virus and some some sort of normality returning to our lives I think for me it would just be a case of I think other than Van Dijk and Gomez who are pretty much we've written off for this season injury wise no more big injuries like that. And, and as you said, the likes of Thiago and Naby can have a sustained run in the team. And these little glimpses that we've seen of them of how good they can be become a more regular thing. And that, that can only really benefit Liverpool. So before we go, I'm worried that we're, we're just over the hour mark that the boss likes us to keep to. I'm going to throw you both on the spot here. What position are Liverpool going to finish the league in this year? And how many points are we going to get? Andy, I will pick on you first for this one. Oh, and I've I'm thrown gonna... this on you. You didn't know this was coming, so apologies <laughs> for that. Coming, no. You know what? I'm going to say we're going to win it, and we're going to win it by just a few points. I'm going to say we finish um, 85 points. No problem. I shall make a note of that. Jay, I think we we win it. I think we win it on. 83 points, and I think we win it by seven points. Oh, I like it. I'm going to go in the middle, just why not? Because normally I, I would do, whenever I do things like this, I normally try and do one of our European Cup winning years. I think we'll do better than 77 and 78. So I'm going to go bang in the middle of you boys and say 84. And yeah, I think we will win it as well. So I'll finish that, by the way. We win it at Old Trafford on the 1st of May. Oh, I like that. I like that. That would be a dream, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. And hopefully there's there's a few fans in there as well. There's four games. We play United the 1st of May. There's four games after that, as the current calendar in the league is set out. Now I'm counting for maybe a couple of points dropped after that, but I think mathematically we win it at Old Trafford. Fabulous. Well, thank you boys very much for joining me for this look back at last year and a bit of a crystal ball moment to look in to next year so as always at the end of our pods we give you a chance to do a bit of a plug so Jay have you got anything coming up in the next week or two people should listen out for Um, hopefully now the fixtures are starting to settle down a little bit Um, me Guy and probably Simon will probably get together and do a fantasy pod looking back over the very busy schedule that has been the Christmas period I know we have not done as many as we would like this year Um, partly due to my work schedule and Simon's as well have been quite conflicting um, and you know the obviously the mess up in the fixtures they come thick and fast to be able to get a pod recorded, review a fantasy football week and then give the listener chance to listen to us and get something sorted, it's it's usually a tight window um, but hopefully in the new year we can nail down a few more regular pods and then slightly further down the line I, I think it's the middle of February we're looking towards now um, the 16th of February, we've got Leipzig away in the Champions League, so probably just a week before that, I'll have a Champions League preview pod out, which I know Mr Wales was the previous host of, and I'm hopefully doing it a little bit, little bit more justice than 
I thought I would do, but yeah, that's all I've got in the pipeline a bit, bit further down the line, but you know, it's things to look forward to. Brilliant, and yes, for any of you fantasy football enthusiasts out there, you should definitely give that show a listen. It's a good show, and I should probably pay more attention to it myself, seeing as I'm about 19th in our AI league this year, so must improve my team for this year. Andy, I know you don't do as much now with your, your move to Germany and your work committed, commitments, etc., but anything people should look out for, audio or written word in the next few weeks? Um, not Nothing in particular coming out. Um, I do a regular Bundesliga column, which you'll uh, catch if you were following me on Twitter at Andy Armchair. I will say yes, go and listen to the Champions League podcast. And and really, all I want to say is uh, I'm just you know having started this podcast in the twenty in the summer of 2015, you know the journey that I went through, I was immensely immensely proud that somebody wanted to to continue it after I had to uh, hang up my microphone so to speak. So I was. So proud uh, that you took it on and done with it what you have. So I'm and I'm honoured to have to uh, have been invited to come back onto it. So it's just it's fantastic, you know the how, uh, just like the you know the whole thing of uh, Liverpool replacing people. Well, you know <laughs> I get replaced. So it's um, yeah. I hope it, it's it's nice to see that continuation, and uh, hopefully Liverpool do the same. You know they just move onwards and upwards. Yep, brilliant. Fabulous. Uh, sounds very good to me. Sorry, I was just trying to send you both a picture of something I've just seen on Twitter about Howard Webb and now VAR. So you can look for that on Twitter about Manchester United. The original virus and a picture of Howard Webb in a Man United shirt and then the new strain of the virus and the VAR screen, which is all too relevant for Man United and the favours Webb did them in the 90s and now that VAR is doing them. I will sign up by saying, yes, I will do my normal, regular monthly Red Review podcast, hoping to record that Tuesday. So it will be after the Southampton game. So any thoughts, any opinions, anything you want us to discuss on that one, let us know on Twitter. I'm at Harry Welshie. If you boys want to quickly give your Twitters out, and then we will call it a day. Yeah, you can follow me on at jreed1987. Um, usually moaning about football and VAR, maybe having a pop at the Ev. Um, but yeah, that's where you'll see me retweeting about any podcast I do. Um, I do try and get on at least one every other week, um, just with my work schedule. It's beneficial for me to try and get on every other week um, when I have evenings free. So yeah, if you want to listen to me any more, then that's where you'll find anything I've, I've put out there. Fabulous on you, Andy. Yeah, mine's at Andy Armchair. So yeah, if you want to come along for the ride, uh, be my guest. Fabulous. Well, thank you boys both very much. I've done a few with you, Jay. So always nice to chat to you and Andy, great to do a pod with you. And yeah, thanks for, for all your work over the years and the pods you did. And I'm glad you're pleased with the work I'm doing hosting your Reds Review podcast. So that's it from all of us today. Thank you very much for listening. Have a happy new year and let's hope our predictions come true and Liverpool win the league. Podcast Network.